Hey, you're listening to the C3 Network Podcast with Dan Holland. Our mission is to create a network of micro churches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. Our hope is that this encourages you. Be sure to leave us a review so you can help us share our message with more people who need to hear it. And now, Dan Holland. We're in Ephesians 5, and we're talking about living the life. And if you'll recall, chapter 4, you know we got spanked. There are so many parts of this letter that are so affirming, so refreshing. We're saved by grace. We're God's work of art, and I love that. But then Paul starts getting into all this, now that you are saved stuff, what are you going to do with the gift? How are we going to live now that we've been saved And he says this in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them." Now, I really like how the passage starts. He says, be imitators of God. In other words, mimic him. Basically, what Paul tells us to do is impersonate God. I like that. Have you ever impersonated someone else? Well, the answer is yes, if you've ever dressed up for Halloween. When I was a senior in high school, I dressed up as the hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, and I got second place in a citywide context, contest. My hunchback costume was so good, in fact, that when I went to work at Chick-fil-A wearing it, just showed up randomly, no one knew who I was. That's how well I imitated the hunchback of Notre Dame. Impressive, right? Now, it wasn't perfect, but it was good enough for second place. But what if we could make our spiritual lives just a little more fun? And instead of making it so hard, what if we just tried to impersonate Jesus? We're not him, and that's kind of obvious. Just look around. Just like I wasn't the hunchback of Notre Dame. But let's just try to be a little more like Jesus. If Christians were like Jesus, we'd change the world. I think you'd agree. We're not yet fully like him. But what Paul says is this. Just fake it until you make it. Imitate him, and who knows? We may start getting really good at it so that people don't even recognize us anymore. But they actually may start seeing him. What if I got so good at impersonating Jesus that people didn't even know it was me anymore? Wow, they might say, you're changed, you're different. You know, they say imitation is is the sincerest form of flattery, right? It's the highest compliment. To imitate somebody else, I mean. So if I really love God and if I really want to worship God, probably the best thing I could do is just to be more like him, to mimic God. As parents, now, we love this, don't we? When our kids look and act like us, whenever people say, wow, he looks just like you, or she's a chip off the old block. It makes you feel good when you have attributes that are good and your kids start to develop those. That makes you feel good, the good ones I'm talking about. And Paul says, remember your God's kids. 
and he wants you to turn out like him. And he reminds us of what that looks like in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He just says, be imitators of God and live a life of love, just as Christ loved you. Now, we're all called to imitate God. It's not a suggestion either. It's actually a command. Under our own power, though, we can't do it. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can definitely live a crucified life for and like Jesus Christ. Now, here's the deal. Whenever I'm trying to be like Jesus, the bar is high. It's a tough act to follow. It's pretty hard to pull it off. So Paul gives us some guidelines to follow just to help us. So in verse 3, he's saying, Among you there must not even be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Why? Because these are improper for the Lord's people. Now Paul says, if you're trying to be like Jesus, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Whoa, I really do want to get Paul on a Zoom call and I can be like, Hey, Brother Paul, I don't know if you realized whenever you wrote this that I was going to be living in America in the 21st century. Hello. Everything about our world is immorality. I can't even watch commercial without seeing stuff that I'm going to have to repent of. But let's understand Paul's context. And this is important. Ephesus was a moral cesspool. It was literally the center of the worship of Diana, the goddess of fertility. So sex didn't just permeate the culture. In fact, one, com one commentator said it was expected for every man to have a mistress. But it also was associated with worship, and a sexual experience was the summit of the religious quest. The widely held view during this time when it was written was that only those who were still in the dark or unenlightened would refuse to embrace sexual freedom. That's the setting into which Paul wrote these words about God's expectations of purity. Now, let me state the obvious. Our modern culture is no less saturated with sex. Sex or sexuality is used to sell everything from, from beer to meds. It's, it's a prominent theme in most sitcoms. Would you agree? It's plastered on the cover of most magazines, makes its way into almost every conversation. It's on every radio show and pops up in some form or fashion on almost every Google search. As a culture, we are obsessed with sex. It is every bit as difficult to maintain sexual purity now as it was then when this was written. However, please hear me clearly whenever I say that God's expectations haven't changed. What are his expectations? And Paul says, because we've been adopted into God's family and are his kids, we must decide to not allow any hint of ungodliness to be a part of our life. So what is sexual immorality or impurity and greed? Why do you think he says even a hint of these sins would be improper in the life of the Christian? Well, sexual immorality is any kind of sexual activity outside of the biblical marriage relationship. Every time two people make love physically, their bodies are saying, we belong to each other totally, completely, and forever. If that isn't true, and if it isn't known by both to be true, if it's just an experiment or a nice idea at the time, a trial arrangement, let's say, their bodies are telling a lie. Sooner or later, the lie will come out. He who sins sexually sins against their own body, and our bodies are not our own. They were bought at a price. So Jesus has to be in control of my world, including my sexuality. I want to honor him. But it's not just getting physical or crossing those clear lines of fornication and adultery that we're talking about here. 
he mentions impurity. Impurity covers a lot of things, but it's basically sexual sin that's not physical sex outside of marriage. It could be pornography or lust, things we talk about, what's in our minds. What Jesus says is, if you've lusted after someone, then you've committed adultery in your heart. You've already sinned. When I'm trying to be like Jesus, you see, the bar is really high, isn't it? Whether that's pornography or staring at images or checking out people as they walk by, what possible good can come out of lusting after somebody? We're just creating a demand and a desire for something we're not supposed to have. It's kind of like going to the mall whenever you're broke. You just end up paying a seriously high price later on for it, right? Paul says, if we're trying to be like Jesus, then not even a hint of sexual immorality or impurity should be there. Not even window shopping. Just stay pure. And like Jesus, I know for a lot of people, sexual temptation is huge. It doesn't matter whether you're single or married. The goal isn't how much can I get away with. The goal is purity. The goal is to be like Jesus, who was tempted in every way, just like we are, but did not sin. Sex outside of marriage is completely off limits, but there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual impropriety among followers of Jesus. Now, if you're engaging in sexual immorality, be it porn or sleeping with your boyfriend, whatever, please know this. You are loved. God does not love you any less now than the day that you were saved. I also want you to know that you're not alone. You know, one of the great lies that Satan will use to keep you in the dark is that you're the only one that struggles with this. Well, you're not. There are many of us that share a similar story, but God's word is clear. As followers of Jesus, we are to be a people who are known for moral purity, a people who take seriously the commands of God. And Paul also says there shouldn't be a hint of greed. Now, what is that all about? Is he shifting the focus from sexual purity to financial integrity? I don't think so. I think he wants us to understand that whenever we use another person who is not our spouse for our, for our own sexual pleasure, we are being greedy. And it doesn't matter if the person is simply an image on a computer screen or our fiance. God calls us to be sexually pure in practice, but also in our conversation. And that's where he takes a little turn in verse four. He said, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now, it's shameful, he says, even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. See, Paul is talking about here stuff that might be in that gray area. It might not be all that bad, but Paul says that's not the goal for us. He's just reminded us that we're dearly loved children of God. We're God's holy people. And as such, we can't go lowering the bar just so we can jump over it. See, the bar has to stay high. It's Jesus Christ. Because who we are is a reflection of who he is. And according to James, the tongue is like a rudder of the ship in a sense that it directs our lives. So every time you mention words, every time you tell an off-color story or, or joke, you're shifting your thinking and imagination towards the way that leads to darkness and death. Paul does a great thing here. He doesn't just say, knock it off, don't do it. Instead, he tells us what to replace filthy conversation with. He said, Thanksgiving. Why Thanksgiving? 
because giving thanks to God keeps our mind on God. When our mind is on God, we stand a much greater chance of living up to our identity. I'm a dearly loved child. I'm one of God's holy people. So I can't just keep, keep on living in unholy ways. I've got to clean up my act and be like Jesus. And when I start trying to imitate and impersonate him, when I start asking not, what do I like to do? Or what do I think is okay? Or what doesn't seem all that bad? But when I look through the eyes of a holy God who's hoping I turn out to look a lot like him, the bar's a lot higher than I may set for myself. Now, verse five is not easy because I know that Satan will immediately try to turn the guilt uh, that you feel into shame. What I am about to say, what I'm about to say is not meant to shame you, but I suppose rather to convict you. And please listen very carefully. Habitual, unrepentant sin keeps a person out of the kingdom of God. Paul makes it very clear in verse five. He said, for this, you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, because such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. See, God is not going to force anyone who does not truly desire for him to be their God to spend the rest of eternity with him. Having said that, let me assure you that as long as you have breath, you're still within the reach of God's grace. To continue to live in an unrepentant life of sin indicates that we have chosen that picture or person to be our God rather than the God who created us. More than anything else, God wants to welcome you home. He's just waiting for you to come back into the light. Okay, now quick word to those of you who may be feeling smug right now or judgmental because sexual sin is not your deal. Maybe it used to be, it's not now, maybe it never was. Sexual sin is not the only sin that can separate a person from God for all eternity. The same judgment awaits those who habitually choose to make anything or anyone other than God their God. I don't care if you're talking about money, food, power, anger, you get it. All sin must be taken seriously. You see, the first step to receiving God's forgiveness is to be remorseful for our sin and allow God's Holy Spirit to transform the way we think, feel, and behave. Peter Marshall, chaplain of the U.S. Senate, a while back once uh, prayed, Lord, we thank you that we can come to you just as we are, but remind us that we dare not leave as we came. See, rather than endorsing sin, the compassionate and faithful response of Christians is to encourage others toward repentance and to receive salvation from sin. Now, understandably, that is not easy to do in this era of cancel culture when there is so much pressure to conform and unpleasant consequences from social media bullies. You know what I'm talking about? It's interesting to me that some influential leaders of Jesus's day felt that very same pressure and they chose to stay silent. Over in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, it says that many among the leaders believed in him, talking about Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise from God. See, Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6 when he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. 
For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. All right, this is vital advice for us because the clever philosophy of this world can deceive us and trap us. There are a lot of empty words out there, words that is, which sound big and important, which echo and resonate in our culture, but which have absolutely nothing inside of them. There's no life and there's no truth. People just talking. It's a lot of pooling of ignorance is what I call it. We've got to pay attention to the messages of our culture that are empty and deceitful, and we've got to stay away from those who would seek to deceive us. We live in a dark world. What is the solution for a dark world? It's not a politician, I can assure you of that. It's, a people, it's the people of light. That's us, the church. Paul makes that very clear in verse eight, that this is our new identity in Jesus Christ. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. He's calling us to live up to our new identity in Christ. When he says, I want you to live as children of light. Now, what does it really look like to live as children of light in practical terms? Well, let's keep reading. He says, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. In other words, seek God's will and do that. Now, he laid out a bunch of stuff that doesn't please the Lord. He just said, what you need to do is find out what does please the Lord, goodness, righteousness, and truth, and do that. Now, we're going to come back to that, to, to this topic next week. Paul's hitting us pretty hard right here. I think you'd agree with that. He's calling us out on where, where we may have been lowering the bar and not really living the life that God's called us to. But what am I going to do with all of that? God's not telling me all this so that I give up or so that I run away and say, I'm not worthy. I'll never make the cut. Before he lays all this out, Paul says, we're doing all of this as dearly loved children. But since we are so loved, since we are by God's grace, his adopted kids, since we are his holy people, let's start living like it. Instead of doing what comes naturally to me, let me start being like him and imitating him. Instead of doing what I think is right and what I want to do, I need to start asking, what would Jesus do? Mimic him. I'm just trying to be like Jesus. My impersonation may, may need a little work, but I'm not going to give up because the more I act like him, the more I start to become like him. And the more I become like him, the more people start to see him in me, shining out of me. Now, until all of a sudden, they don't really recognize me anymore, but they recognize him in me. All right, for all of us, I think God's calling us to take that next step in being like him, in imitating him. Well, what is that for you? Where is God calling you to imitate Jesus? Maybe it's sexual purity. Maybe it's your speech. Just start today to impersonate Jesus in that area. And this may be tough, but when we get it right, people notice. Because we are fully loved by God and completely forgiven by the blood of Christ, let's make it our goal to please him, to glorify God in word and deed. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray for everyone listening that you will help us 
to live today and every day, mindful, Father, that we, our only job is to imitate you, that we are fully and completely loved and forgiven by you. And I pray, Father, that you will empower us as we represent you in the communities and the places where we live and work. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, we post a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so you can help share our message. We'll see you next time.